So our first reading today comes from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, starting at verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions... And deal with each other justly. If you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder Commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe. Safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning is found in the book of Mark, chapter 11, commencing at verse 12 and reading through to verse 25. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I will tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Peter and Jill, thank you for those readings. It's the second one which we'll be uh, exploring together this morning. So if you have a Bible, please keep that in front of you on page 1016. And let's uh, pray together. Father God, it's with thankfulness that we come to your words and also with reverence and awe because we know that your word is like a two-edged sword. Lord, please speak to each one of us. Please expose in our hearts what needs to change. And please grow in us a true faith which is pleasing to you. Amen. As Rachel mentioned in our sermons this term, we are returning to the Gospel of Mark, picking up where we left off around a year ago. And I'm hugely excited to be back in Mark for the simple reason that in Mark's Gospel, we meet with Jesus, with the real Jesus Christ. Mark's Gospel is not fiction or fable. It's based on the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' disciples who saw and heard him. And it's full of what the scholars call eyewitness details. For example, in our reading at the end of verse 14, uh, Mark adds the detail, and his disciples heard him say it. In Mark, we meet with Jesus Christ as he really was and as he really is. And this term, we're going to be on especially holy ground as we explore from chapter 11 through to the end of Mark. We're looking at that final week that led up to Jesus' saving death and glorious resurrection. Really, it is the climax of the gospel. In these chapters, we see more clearly than ever before who Jesus is, uh, the king with all the authority of God. And we see as well why he came. That in his love, he came to give his life as a ransom for many to save us from our sins. And we see also what it means to follow him. And Mark has recorded it all so that we can know Jesus and be confident in our faith and wholehearted as his disciples. I'm really excited about the term ahead. But like this whole section of Mark's Gospel, today's reading, as well as being exciting, is also very challenging. Uh, It's intellectually challenging because it raises loads of questions. Did you have questions after we heard that passage read? Why does Jesus speak to a fig tree? Why was he so drastic in the temple? And is Jesus really saying towards the end that if only we believe strongly enough, we will immediately get whatever we ask God for in prayer? I hope that by the end of our sermon, we'll have some answers to those questions. So it's intellectually challenging, but even more than that, it's personally challenging. A big theme in these chapters of Mark is the clash between Jesus and human religion. 
Now, Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he clashes with the man-made religion that he finds there, especially with the religious leaders who had distorted the faith of the Old Testament and turned it into a man-made religion. And today we read of Jesus visiting the temple, that place of worship, and being angry with what he found there. It's personally challenging because it makes us ask, if Jesus visited St. Mary's, what would he make of our worship? Our worship together as a church, but also our worship individually in our lives, because the whole life of the Christian should be worship. Are there things in our worship, in our lives, that need to change in order to be pleasing to him? Well, to answer that question, we're going to look at our reading in two halves. And first of all, we see that Jesus judges fruitless worship. It's the message of verses 12 to 21. Jesus judges fruitless worship. So the reading begins in verse 12, and it's the next day, the day after Jesus' triumphal entry when he rode into Jerusalem on the colt of a donkey. And we see in verse 12 that Jesus and his disciples left Bethany, that village outside Jerusalem, and came back into the city. Then look at verse 13. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now, this episode has puzzled many. Why does Jesus speak to a tree and indeed curse it? And the answer is that Jesus is using that fig tree as a picture of what he will find in the temple in the next few verses. Now, quite often in the Bible, the fig tree is used as a picture for God's people, Israel. See that, for example, in Jeremiah 24 and Micah 7. Uh, The fig tree is a picture of the people of God, and the figs, well, they're a picture of the fruit, the changed lives that God expects of his people, the fruit of justice and righteousness. We read in our, our first reading in the book of Jeremiah that God expects his people to show justice, that is, seeking the good of the oppressed, the foreigner, the poor, the widow. And God expects his people to show righteousness, serving him faithfully and not worshipping idols, false gods. So the fig tree here is a picture of the people of God. Uh, Some have wondered why Jesus uh, looked for fruit on the tree when we're told at the end of verse 13 it was not the season for figs. Uh, A lot has been written about this. I, I think the most likely answer is because the tree was in leaf. Uh, which was surprising at that season. And I understand that when a fig tree is in full leaf, you would expect to find some fruit, but there was none. So you could say this tree was superficially impressive, but actually fruitless. And when Jesus comes to the temple, he finds it fruitless too. So in verse 15, Jesus entered the temple area, And immediately he began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. What an extraordinary scene this must have been. 
Now, I get angry in shops myself. On Christmas Eve, when they ran out of brie, I was stressed. (laughs) If there is an unexpected item in my bagging area, I find my blood pressure rising. And once, and this was a proud moment, I rebuked another customer for using offensive language. But I've never seen anything like this. It's Jesus, the most loving, the most self-controlled, the most holy person ever, literally turning the place upside down. And I want us to notice in these verses the authority of Jesus. You see, we sometimes say the clearing of the temple shows that Jesus is not gentle, meek, and mild. It shows far more than that. In these verses, Jesus acts like he owns the place. See verse 16? He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. He acts like he owns the place. Now, who owns the temple? The temple is God's house. For those with eyes to see it, here is Jesus acting as God, come to judge his temple. And why was Jesus so angry at the trading? Was it so wrong to sell doves for people to use the sacrifices? Was it so wicked to change money? Well, the answer lies in the two Old Testament quotes that Jesus teaches them in verse 17. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? That's what the temple should have been. But you have made it a den of robbers. You see, Israel was meant to be a light to the nations of the world. They were meant to be a witness to the living God. They were meant to show the nations of the world what it meant to be in a living relationship with God. And the temple, their temple, it was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations, where people from every nation could come into the courts of the temple and meet with God and pray to him. But these people had taken the temple courts, the very bit that the nations were meant to be welcome in, and they had filled them with their shops. These people had pushed out the nations because of their greed and desire to make money. And they had made the temple into a den of robbers, robbing the nations of the witness that they deserved, robbing God of the obedience that he deserved. That temple was meant to be a witness to the nations. And they'd turned it into a shopping center to make money for themselves. And it was so outrageous that Jesus rightly turned the place over. And it just shows us in passing how important it is to God that his people are a witness to the nations. How important it is to him that we are a light to those around us who don't know him. Well, we read in verse 18 how the chief priests and the teachers of the law responded. They looked for a way to kill him. Again, it's truly shocking. The respected religious leaders plotting to murder the Messiah because they could see how popular his teaching was and they were afraid that he would take away their power and their control. So Jesus came to the temple looking for fruit, for justice, concern for the oppressed, foreigners and poor, looking for righteousness, for worship of God and not the worship of idols, looking for witness to the nations. 
And instead he found greed, which is idolatry, exclusion of the nations, and hatred. And so we come back to the fig tree in verse 20. Verse 20, the next morning, as they, Jesus and his disciples, went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. This bracketing of the fig tree on either side of the clearing of the temple confirms what I said, that the fig tree is a picture of the temple. And it is a very solemn picture. Jesus came to the fig tree and found no fruit of figs. So he cursed the tree and it never bore fruit again. And in the same way, Jesus came to the temple and found no fruit of changed lives. And so he judged the temple and it would never be a place of true worship again. Remember when Jesus died a few days later, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's a sign not only that the way to God was opened by Jesus' saving death, but also of God's judgment on that temple. And then in the year AD 70, the Romans under the Emperor Titus completely destroyed the temple and it has never been built again. You see, after centuries of warning from the prophets like Jeremiah, After years of warnings from Jesus, Jesus has judged the fruitless worship of the temple. Now, it's tempting for us to think that this is just ancient history. But always God's warnings on Israel, God's judgments on Israel, are warnings for us today. They are given as warnings to us. Like that leafy fig tree... We can look superficially good. After all, we're, we're here at church. We can look godly and committed. But it's not how we seem to others that count. It's what Jesus Christ thinks of us. That is the only thing that counts. His verdict on us. And he looks for fruit. The fruit of lives changed by his grace. Does he find in us hearts that long to show love and justice to the oppressed, to foreigners, to widows and the fatherless? Does he find hearts that long to turn from idols and worship him alone? Does he find hearts that, that long to be a witness to those around us? Or does he find in us what he found in the temple? People who are more interested in making money, in comfort and in power and control than they are in serving God. It's a really solemn warning. Jesus expects our lives to be changed by his grace. And if they're not, the time will come when, like for the temple, we face him as judge. It's such a challenging passage for us. Jesus judges fruitless worship. But what can we do? What can we do to to bear fruit and to keep on bearing fruit in our lives? Well, wonderfully, the answer does not lie in ourselves and in making more effort. No, the answer lies in Jesus and coming to him in faith. So we see next that Jesus creates fruitful worship. It's true, Jesus judges fruitless worship, but praise God, he creates fruitful worship. 
and he's able to create it in us. So in verses 22 to 25, the last paragraph of our reading, Jesus teaches his disciples. And that word answered in verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered, links these verses with what comes before. These are not just random sayings from Jesus. They are his answer to the fruitlessness of the fig tree and his answer to fruitless worship. So in verses 22 to 25, Jesus teaches his disciples how to be fruitful. And that in itself shows us that the the fruitfulness comes from listening to the word of Jesus and putting it into practice. And Jesus shows us three marks of fruitful worship. And the first is faith in God. So verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Fruitful worship springs from trusting God. Now when you're teaching a little one to ride a bike, you have to help them trust you. Have you experienced that? Um, Until the little one trusts you to hold them up, they're never going to lift their feet up from the floor. They've just got to trust you. Until the little one trusts that you know what you're talking about, they're never going to look forward and keep pedaling. They've got to learn to trust what you say. And it's the same with fruitful worship. It comes from trusting God. And of course, we find that hard. We find it hard because of our proud self-reliance. We love to think we can do life on our own. We find it hard because we can't see God. And trusting God is hard when life is hard. And we can't imagine why God would allow things to be so tough. And Jesus says to us, have faith in God. And wonderfully, he doesn't just tell us, he also enables us to trust God. You see, Jesus in his very person shows us that God always keeps his promises. Remember all those promises of the Old Testament? God promised he would send a king who would be a savior, who would die to free us from our sins. Well, in Jesus, he did. The very person of Jesus shows us we can trust God to keep his promises. And Jesus' character shows us we can trust God. Just think how Jesus cared for his disciples and never let them down. Shows us that's what God is like. We can trust him never to let us down. And Jesus in his death and resurrection shows us that even in the blackest of times, God is at work to bring eternal good. And so we can trust God when life is tough. Those temple leaders, they trusted in themselves. But the source of all fruitful worship is trusting God. And Jesus enables us to trust him, to make us right, to change us, and to give us all that we need to serve him in our lives. So fruitful worship, it starts with trusting God. The second mark of fruitful worship that Jesus gives us here is prayer. In other words, the chief way we express our trust in God is by praying and bringing our requests to him. And again, there are many reasons why we find it hard to pray. One is the self-reliance again. We think we can cope on our own. Another is we sometimes doubt whether prayer will do any good. Or perhaps we think we're too busy, really, to pray. We'll see what Jesus says in, in verses 23 and 24. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain... Go throw yourself into the sea 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Now, these words grab our attention because Jesus appears to be saying that if only we believe enough, we will immediately receive whatever we ask for. And indeed, prosperity preachers have seized on these verses and said, yes, if you really believe that God will make you rich and you ask him to make you rich, and then often they add and give us a load of money, then God will make you rich. Well, one of our principles in understanding the harder parts of the Bible is to compare them with the rest of Scripture. And elsewhere in the Bible, we see that unanswered prayer is a normal part of the Christian life, even for those who are filled with faith. Take Romans chapter 10, for example. Paul prays for his beloved fellow Israelites to be saved, but most of them were not. Paul experienced unanswered prayer for loved ones to come to Christ. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we read of Timothy's frequent stomach illnesses. Now we can assume that Paul and Timothy prayed they, they experienced unanswered prayer for healing. So Jesus cannot mean if only we believe enough, we will instantly get what we ask for. After all, God's will is not always our will and his timing isn't always our timing. But Jesus is encouraging us here to trust God and to pray because when we pray, God does extraordinary things. When we trust God, that that faith lines up our will with God's will so that we're more likely to be asking what God's will is. And also, faith tells us that one day in glory, we will receive everything we've ever asked for from God or something better, according to his will. See, a mountain being thrown into the sea was proverbial for something impossible happening. And Jesus is saying, when God's people who trust him pray, God does things which are humanly impossible. And so we should trust him and pray. I love the story of John Wesley's mother. I think she had 15 children. And John Wesley, later in life, remembers that several times each day, his mother, Susanna Wesley, would throw her apron over her head in the kitchen while chaos ensued around her and have some minutes of prayer with the apron up over her head so she wasn't distracted. And that was her way of protecting time to pray with those 15 kids. Are we protecting time to pray? I love the story of a lady who was driving her grandchildren into town, and she prayed in the car out loud that God would give them a parking space. And her grandchildren teased her, and they said, why do you pray like that, Granny? That's not how you find a parking space. And instinctively, she answered, how else would I find a parking space? You know, her habit was every need, every problem, just instinctively lifting it to God in prayer. Is that how we respond to needs and problems? Just sending up a quick prayer? See, fruitful worship is marked by prayer because we know that the prayer of a believing person connects us to God and God in his power can do the impossible. Fruitful worship, it starts with faith in God, it's expressed in prayer. And then third, uh, fruitful worship involves giving and receiving forgiveness. So look at verse 25. 
And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. There's so much we could say about forgiving others, but let me just say for now that it's such a relief that fruitful worship is marked by giving and receiving forgiveness. See, fruitful worship is not about perfection. It's about humility. It's not about getting everything right. It's about being humble before God and asking him to forgive our many failings. And it's about being humble before others and willing to forgive them because we know how much God has to forgive us. Jesus is teaching these are the marks of fruitful worship. Faith in God, prayerfulness, and the humility that gives and receives forgiveness. And actually, these are the things that make us a light to the nations, that make us a witness to the world around us. So what does Jesus Christ make of our worship, together as a church and individually in our lives? What would he say if he came to us? In fact, what will he say when he does come to us? We've seen that Jesus judges fruitless worship. He's not interested in outward conformity or religious activity or going through the motions. That's just leaf. No, Jesus wants the fruit of lives changed by his grace. And the fruit comes not from ourselves and our own efforts, but from coming to Jesus and listening to his word and trusting what he says. See, the leaders in Jerusalem, they ignored God's word. They thought they knew better. Let us be those who listen to God's word and trust and obey it. The leaders in Jerusalem, they relied on themselves. They thought they could do it on their own. Let us be those who trust in God to save us and change us. Those leaders, they squeezed out prayer in order to have more space to make money. Let us be those who are prayerful. They were so proud. Let us be humble in giving and receiving forgiveness. Those leaders failed to be a witness to the nations. Let us be a light to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is so challenging to us because we see that you judge fruitless worship. You're not interested in outward conformity and religious activity. And so how we thank you, Lord, that you create fruitful worship. Thank you that the answer does not lie in us and our efforts, but in you and your word. Lord, keep us coming to you. Keep us listening and trusting and obeying your word. And please grow in us the fruit of faith in God, of prayerfulness and humility, so that we would truly be a light to the nations around us. Amen.